Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. How cool is it living in today's global economy where one click of a button and product arrives on your doorstep the very next day? This podcast is going to dive deep into how that happens in the fascinating world of working in import and export. I've dedicated my entire career in that industry, and it is chock full of stories and how to do things so you become aware of what it takes to move products around the world. I'm your host, Lorianne, your trade diva, and this is Shut Up and Go Trade. This is so exciting. We're talking about the purchase order financing, export financing, trade finance, all flowing back from last week's podcast with Ralph and Walter. He's still part of all this and why we're doing this. This is awesome. Eric, why don't you introduce yourself first? Sure. My name is Eric Botel. I represent a firm by the name of Bolofin USA. We are a trade credit insurance broker, specialist broker but we are also providing supply chain financing, specifically for export receivables and export payables. Perfect. And for the audience out there, Ralphie's back! Yay! Hi, Ralphie. Good morning. So this discussion is is awesome because we're going to have the, well, me, I am obviously from the user side, manufacturers, et cetera. I've used these products before, um, was introduced to it through Ralph back years ago. Eric is the supplier of these products, if you will, or the, as you said, the broker. If he can't do it, he's going to find someone to do it. And Ralphie is from the banking side to interject as to what they want to see with these products and how to utilize them both, you know, what the bank wants, but how to help the client. So we've been in discussions with Bing Walter and trying to help him on with financing. He's, he's sourcing from China. We have, you know, those supply chain issues and things taking so long to get here. Rates are so, so high and the demand is there. Net terms, they're not doing with him because uh, they don't have to. So he's doing cash in advance. So by the time the product comes in and then he's got purchase orders waiting, so that's not a problem uh, as far as you know selling. But he has net terms with his clients and his customers that there's, and I know finance hates this word, the gap <laughs> in between of when his money's going out and when it's coming back in. Traditional banking, a little tough to deal with paperwork and what they want. Small guys, you know, dealing with audited financials. Yes, it's the nature of the beast, but they just don't have the time and the resources to get it done. So then, of course, through Ralph and the experience of, of dealing with, um, with him from the export side, purchase order financing, and the trade credit insurance product. 
has popped up into this scenario that could be a really good solution. So Eric, why don't you start with, from your side, how you presented it to Walter and what these products are? I think to start all the way, well, to the end, when Walter is selling to his customers, you know, of course, they're going to expect terms because, you know, they're selling a product that they're waiting to be paid on mm-hmm. or to finish a project. So they need Walter to give them terms of sale, 30 days, 60 days, whatever the case may be. So, you know, that leaves Walter, he's exposed. Uh, anything could happen at that time with any of his customers. So that's where trade credit insurance comes into play. The insurance companies will vet his customers as to being good credits or bad credits. And the good credits will be placed on the insurance policy. And if for whatever reason, one of those customers doesn't pay, the insurance company will step in and pay. Now, the trigger could be that customer is having cash flow difficulty. They're still a going concern. They're still in business, but they just don't have the money because probably the money's not coming into that. So that's one trigger under the credit insurance policy. The other trigger is going to be a flat out bankruptcy, either chapter 11 or chapter seven. Mm-hmm. So, you know, typically when you're talking about small to mid-sized customers, the slow pay occurs first and the bankruptcy. A little bit different when you're talking about big corporations where everything's being paid on time and then boom, bankruptcy. That's it. You never, you know, you never saw it coming for the most mm-hmm. part. So that's again coming back, that's the beginning of this whole transaction with Walter. Now, Walter has to get his product. His product is coming from another country. It takes time to move that product. He right now has to come up with that money out of his pocket before any sales are being made. His customers aren't going to give him the money to go and buy the product. So he has to figure it out. So up until now, he's been, you know, forced to tie up that money for two, three months. And, you know, of course, that it, it, by the sounds of it, it, you know, it's really limiting his business. He could do more if he had more money, right? Yes. So in comes your supply chain financing. And there's two routes to go that, that you know, we've explored. Mm-hmm. One is to go to a, a traditional supply chain finance company you can call them a factor. They're a little bit more than your 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 grandfather's factor because they're also financing payables. Right. Which, and that's the part that I actually originally contacted you for. Right. Is the the logistics side. Right. We're, we're prepaying all the freight because you know that's what they're demanding. And yeah. So there's that that one prong of this. And then also the product yeah. side. So there's, yeah, there's two different. Right. So there's a huge alley of of capital in a very short period of time. 
so the solution, the, the one of two solutions is, is, is either, like I mentioned, the supply chain financing or some people call it reverse factoring. I know some factors hate that term, but that's essentially what it is. So that's one, one avenue. The other avenue is purchase order financing, which we're, you know, we're in the process of exploring. Now, the main difference really is that the supply chain financing doesn't require purchase orders to back up the transaction. Okay. Because the obligor, the obligor is still going to be the same, but with purchase order financing, the purchase order finance company is going to advance the money based on purchase orders. So if you have a purchase order for $100,000 from a customer, here's $100,000. Next customer, purchase order for $200,000. Here's $200,000. Approximately that. It, there's going to be some, some discounting on the amount. So once they, you know, they've collected that money off of the purchase orders, they can go buy the product. Now, now Allstate Roofing has more money available to them to buy more product, to sell more product. And now it comes back to, you know, fast forward, the, the product arrives in the country, Allstate Roofing takes possession, they sell to their customers under their trade credit insurance policy. So there, of course, the purchase order finance company is really only going to be interested in financing those purchase orders that are either credit insured or factored. And most factoring has or non-recourse factoring, which is the ability of the customer to offset all the credit risk to the factor. So again, if there's a non-payment situation, the factor is going to step in and pay or absorb the loss versus the, the borrower, in this case, all state. So credit insurance. So the purchase order finance company needs to have that guarantee on the on the sales side from all state. Now from the banking side, Ralph, client has the trade credit insurance policy in hand. From your perspective, being from the bank side, your view is yay. Finally. Finding, well, yeah, because looking at the risks. So if I'm a credit person, right, I see trade credit insurance as better than a personal guarantee. But from a relationship, a domestic relationship, and Eric, jump in uh, on this. From a domestic credit perspective, looking at a relationship manager at a bank, they don't understand trade credit insurance. So finding the right person at the bank, not only the trade, sometimes even the trade finance person may not be interested because at some banks, trade credit insurance is a credit product and not a trade product. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the real legwork is finding the right person, the credit people at the bank, because once you find the right credit people at the bank, it's an easy sell. The other side of this too is that a lot of companies don't even know this product is available or why they should have credit insurance. We typically like it on the exports and we talk a lot about export insurance, et cetera. But a lot of companies are like, why do I need an insurance product for for this? And and in this scenario, this is domestic customers we're talking about, not export. Mm -hmm. 
So with that, yeah. I have a real life story. I was working at a, a company over 20 years ago in the semiconductor industry, and we dealt in uh, multi-million dollar projects. And these machines were like million dollar products. And I think, I, actually, Rob, I think you're the one that introduced me to export insurance at the time. And we had a, a customer, no customer in the Ukraine. You know, they, we had, they had purchased other items in the past. It was fine. Uh, but we had a, then had a multi-million dollar contract with them. And I presented this product, export credit insurance, because they were going to be on net terms, not doing a, an LC. And I was like, maybe we should. This seems, you know, to insure all of our receivables on an export level. No, $5,000 was the premium. $5,000 was like, huh. Well, made the product, shipped it out as it was in transit. They filed bankruptcy on us. And I said, how's that $5,000 looking now? Because <laughs> you know what right. we got paid at the end? Right. And, and the other problem, not a problem, but the other issue with trade credit insurance is some of the banks want to protect their LC business. And they try to talk their clients out of doing trade credit insurance. Right. But as we're talking about today, there are so many, there's, you know, Eric's presenting both sides, right? That's the right solution. In some cases, a letter of credit maybe or, or cash against documents, fine. But this is a total package that needs to be presented, to especially to small to medium-sized business mm -hmm. where that's really where the growth is. And just one other thing. We look at trade credit insurance as something only the big banks should be utilizing. My discussion argument's always been, there's no reason why if all states doing business with a local community bank, trade credit insurance works just as well with the smaller bank. I, I would argue that it works better with the smaller bank because you have access to the credit people, better access to the credit people. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and a credit insurance policy can be assigned to any loss paid. Coming back to the whole thing about credit insurance and customers not understanding that it's there, everybody knows there's collection companies out there, right? I, you know, every business owner knows that. All that credit insurance is, is really a collection company on steroids. They're saying, all right, we're going to go collect this money, but we're going to give you the money up front. Even before you get into trouble, though, we're going to vet these customers so we're all on the same page. Who, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Because, you know, the credit insurance companies are not going to approve 100% of your customer. Mm -hmm. They're going to find issues with, with a few, typically payment trends coming from various credit reporting agencies or even their own internal experience with other policyholders. Or there just there could be a lack of information. But once we once the customer, the insured and the insurance company come to an agreement of a viable policy limit follows the 80-20 rule, where 80% uh, of the customers that generate only 20% of the revenue come under that discretionary credit limit. The other 20% of their customers that make up 80% of the revenue, those are the guys that are typically named on the policy. 
And they're the ones that the insurance companies really sticking their neck out on the line and saying, yeah, this guy's good for $500,000. That guy's good for $200,000 and so on. Under the discretionary credit limit, the insured, the policyholder, usually has to follow, follow guidelines set by the insurance company. The insurance company may say, look, you have to have documented trade experience for them to qualify under the discretionary credit limit, or you need to get a credit report or a set of financials or some bank references. Every insurance company does it a little bit differently and their qualifications are a little different, but those four main items are, are pretty consistent. I just have a quick, if sure. I could just, so three things, the insurance broker wants to see a good balance of risk. You don't want to see here's, you know, all of Ukraine or here, you want to see a good balance of risk. But right. what I wanted, and I know you're in the middle of something, but I wanted not to lose this thought, but cancelable, non-cancelable policy mm-hmm. and contract. And I'm going to say this word, I only get repudiation. Okay, see, I got it. I can't do that again. That, those two items, I understand that uh, from the banker's perspective, the cancelable, not cancelable. Yeah. So cancelable versus non-cancelable. I wouldn't say one is better than the other. It depends on the insured and really their own internal credit practices. I would say you're more entrepreneurial organizations that are made up of a bunch of sales guys or engineers or, you know, skilled craftsmen, whatever you want to call them, they're not credit people. And they may not want to make the investment in the back office of a credit department, right? Uh, Hiring a credit manager, maybe an assistant credit manager, and then, you know, having to buy reports and then to keep track of everything and, and, it's a lot. There's a lot that goes into to a sound credit management department. So utilizing a cancelable carrier that will look at every account and say yes or no, just like a credit manager would be sitting inside the four walls of, of the customer and the insured. And then the insurance company is also following those those debtors throughout the year. So any changes in their credit profile, uh, in their financial condition, the insurance company has the ability to act on. Mm. And that's where the cancelable coverage comes into to play. So, you know, ABC debtor that, uh, you know, all of a sudden starts slowing up in the trade, paying its payables. It shows up on the DMB report, the DMB paydex score. If we're going to pick on, on DMB right now, if that uh, worsens, if the rating goes down with DMB, the insurance company may take action. How do I manage that with the bank, though? If I'm taking an assignment or if the bank's being named lost payee, how would I look at it? Or how would my credit people look at it? Yeah, well, the bank has access to view the policy. And they're copied on, on the same, when they're named as lost payee. And I've seen this happen a lot with banks where they, they'll require it, but they don't follow up to being 
Correct. Gaining loss payee. Yes. And they're really only getting half of what they paid for, if you want mm-hmm. to use that, that analogy. So, I, yes. So once they're logged, they're named as the lost payee, they, they have the same ownership rights to that policy as the insured does. So they can go online, they can see who's insured and for how much. And they will get the same notifications the insured gets if coverage is canceled. So basically how they act on it is once they get that information, they just take it out of the, the advanced uh, calculation. They say, all right, that $100,000 receivable is no longer eligible. And typically the underwriter would do that. That would be managed in the back office credit. Right, right, exactly. You know, it's no different than they get agings from customers and they're calculating, you know, based on days outstanding, what's eligible and not eligible. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen banks, you know, where they would say, well, anything that's after 60 days is not eligible. Well, maybe with credit insurance, maybe we'll move that up to 90 days. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So it all depends on the, the individual bank and how comfortable they feel about about it. Now, you know, you go to the non-cancelable contracts and you don't have to worry about coverage being canceled. So at the beginning of the year, you have your, let's say 20 customers listed on the, the policy. They're going to be there for the entire policy year. The insurance company is never going to take an action to cancel that coverage. But now is that based on a, a per customer level yeah okay because like if you put all of your receivables into one and one guy you know decides to default whatever it's not that the rest gets under two right it's just that one right each individual customer on a policy is like a separate endorsement it's like your auto policy you know you have three cars they're three different types of risks Right. It's the same thing with the credit insurance policy. Right. Yeah. Because like Ralph is saying, uh, like what Ralph is saying on the international side, yeah, country risk change is all different all over. And obviously, the insurance companies, you know, they don't want to just insure one high risk area because, well, obviously the the pay might be different, the premiums are going to be skyrocketed, or they won't cover it at all. You group them all together, so you have your Canadian perfect, you know, good clients, you know, they're right there right. in affairs, helping offset the bad. Right. And an ideal portfolio, export portfolio for an insurance company is a diverse set of countries. Right. Of right. westernized or industrialized countries. They want that. But that also fights with sometimes the reason why companies buy credit insurance. Okay. They may have a concentration issue whether it's within a country or even with a with with one large customer like at my company yes this well this week we wrote a policy on one customer but that's because it represented 90% of their sales mm. okay that was a huge risk mm-hmm. for them not to have that company insured mm-hmm. so we sometimes refer to them a single debtor policies yep. that can be done. With this analogy of you have the one 
great uh, payer, et cetera, you get this insurance so that you can go to the other products, go to the bank and get that money faster. Like instead of right. net 90 or net 60, you can go to the bank and say, right. I need my cash fast. It's so a I credit and growth play. That's the way I, I saw it as a credit and growth play because I would identify in the portfolio companies like Walter where, you know, maybe the bank not paying enough attention to them, but I've identified it as this company has great potential for exports. We're always looking at the big names, but they're not using any of the bank products. So for Walter, I'm not saying his bank should do this, but in some cases, we actually paid for the insurance. Uh, well, that, that's what we were discussing with them yesterday, is that there is the potential to grow. It's just when he's he's got all this money out there, it's, he can't do it right now because he's mm-hmm. too, he needs that money in. But his, his current customers, they're not going to give him cash in advance. So. It's very difficult to go to a customer that, that hasn't had a, a real problem with bad debt loss and say to them, you need credit insurance. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't resonate. Right. If they're looking so, for a working capital tool for me, yeah, great credit insurance was always a better option than the Exum working capital program. That's been my experience. The Exum product fits into a very small box. And I'm talking about, they have a credit insurance product too. And I've written their credit insurance policies. And they're very good if you have that real unique situation. You know, there's guidelines that you have to follow with them that you don't have to worry about with private credit insurance, you know, such as 51% U.S. content. The material has to be non-military. And you want to be an advocate. I mean, what I tell clients, prospects, when they find somebody like you, don't call them once every, you know, two years. Get yeah. them to, just like Exum, you know, it's easy to put together you know, proposal for Exum and then have it kick back because it doesn't reach, you know, all the, it doesn't hit all the, the hurdles. Mm-hmm. But developing a relationship with you, having, you know, a good balance of risk, they could give you a call. And if they have a question and have a, a problem, you know their business well enough where you can navigate through that and make it work. So by working with a broker like myself, I can give them access to other carriers that otherwise... They couldn't. And, and there's a lot of carriers that don't even have their own direct sales for us. So even, even if you have a CFO that's a DIY guy who says, oh, I'll go out and get all the quotes myself, he may be able to get them from three mm-hmm. of the 14 carriers out in the marketplace. The other ones only distribute their product through brokers like me. That's a great point because I've always felt comfortable with brokers because they would come by with three, four different proposals specific to the export. So you, you're like flow from progressive. <laughs> That's right. I mean, without the uniform. That's right. Gotta, gotta get cool them hairdo. <laughs> and the hairdo, exactly. From the customer perspective now, the client, they have their trade, credit insurance policy. That's good to go. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. Now move it into how they're going to now, okay, I've got it. Now the other product size that you can 
play with, like the purchase order financing or the bank now, what do they do mm. now that they have that policy and they're, they're kind of like, aha, I got it. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is that that sometimes customers will will wait to find the bank before they buy the credit insurance policy. And that doesn't do them any good. Because if, if you show up to a bank saying, well, I'll buy credit insurance if you lend me money. Well, the bank may say, you know, why don't you buy the credit insurance first? And we will then know for certain what your customers, what a third party thinks of your customers, mm -hmm. and then we'll lend you money based on mm -hmm. that. So, yeah, a lot of time, times they put the cart before the horse. They're in a great negotiation. Like when they have that policy in hand, right? they could shop that around to multiple banks. They become much more attractive to mm -hmm. many more banks. Exactly. Exactly. I don't always like to position the credit insurance product as a, a loss mitigation tool. I mean, it is a loss mitigation, right? But it's also a safe sales expansion tool. I always look at it as a credit tool for me, yeah. from my banking from perspective. Your, from your yes. banking perspective, it's a banking tool. So and there's from really three. From the exporter, importer's perspective, manufacturer, whatever. Uh, having trade credit insurance will allow me to expand my business, get more customers because, oh, I think I can offer you net terms now because I'm safeguarded instead and of selfish away from cash in advance or a letter of credit. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would say a, a company complains about all the insurance that they have to buy. Right. And, you know, when I come calling, uh, it's just another another insurance that, that, that I have to write a check for. But the reality is, is that out of all of their insurance coverages, this is the one that they will touch the most during the year. Right. And, that, and that brings up another point. And, and as a broker, you know, I always like telling customers, um, you know, what are the trap doors to credit insurance? getting a claim paid. Let me let me just first talk about how can you not get paid? And let's work backwards from there. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get paid is if you don't ask for the coverage, if you don't update the coverage on your policy. Well, like you were saying, with customers saying, oh, it's one more check I have to write. I like to kind of view this as, okay, you, you pay right. for your auto insurance. Yes, some states it's a law, some states it's not that I've been learning, but you write that check in case you need it and it protects you in that one instance. You know, there are people that could go 40 years, never have an accident. Well, you still had to pay, you know, that insurance every month, but then you never know when, when it happens, it's well worth it. it it'll pay for itself tenfold once you have it, so if you need it. And, and when I mentioned the contract repudiation, it's it's not just kind of a single arrow. It's if you're bidding on a project, you can buy the insurance and that would help in a default situation. I know I've proposed it, but I proposed it without knowing too much about it. But it was always a good product from, from the broker side. For the company, they have another tool for their sales side instead of only going out and saying cash in advance, or we can only do a letter of credit. Mm -hmm. 
that's to some places that's offensive you know some countries have a cultural thing no we don't do business like that and to say oh we can offer net terms because we have you know this policy behind me and that also brings up another point about you know going to companies that do have those functions already in place a credit manager a good credit manager a professional credit manager I don't want to make them feel like they're being replaced. Mm-hmm. I want to give them a tool to make their jobs easier, to make them look better, to make them look, you know, especially to the sales guys that, hey, I'm not the only crazy one here. This guy is no good and I'm not going to give him credit. The insurance company backs me up. Mm-hmm. Now, that, or, that, that is a really good point of saying you're not eliminating the credit manager. That's that's a big misnomer in, in a lot of companies that the, the, well, the yeah, manager should be on top of this and he's working with you or the, the right. insurance companies directly and, like you said, getting credit for their customers. Yeah, and, and no matter how on, how on top a, a credit manager is on the credits, they can't know everything. It's impossible. Right. And even the credit insurance companies, they pay claims. To wrap up here, the trade credit insurance product, companies to look at it to help with their export side, supply chain management, supply chain financing, gets them in front of the bank with a better better leverage to- Competitive tool, monetize receivables. Monetize the receivables. And then also on the uh, factoring or purchase order financing side. So it, it's, a, it's a great tool for SMEs to help with their cash flow, expand their business with uh, net terms and less risk. Any other follow-up with that, Eric? Ralph? You don't have to turn away. You don't have to turn away startups. Eric mentioned startups. Right. I think that's a great point. Right. Don't turn away startups. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's just mm-hmm. that's that's booming right now. There's a ton of startups. Big time. I forgot. And, and you know, companies can get into other lines of products that they weren't in before. COVID was a perfect example. All right, guys. I appreciate you taking the time this morning to talk about this wonderful product. Okay. All right. That Thanks does it good. for this episode of Shut Up and Go Trade. Thank you all. Trade Diva out. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. That's all the time that we have for this week's episode. You want to dive deeper into this topic, see some behind the scenes, and also know all of our various other social media platforms, please go to the YouTube channel, Shut Up and Go Trade. Remember to subscribe, put your comments, questions, anything you want to throw at us. And who knows, maybe we'll even ask you to be on the show sometime. Until then... Everybody take care and shut up and go trade.